0: Hello, people of the way, blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to James chapter 1, James chapter 1. We continue our study through the New Testament. Now, before we get started in chapter 1, there are certain things that we have to understand. The book of James, it's written about 45 AD. This is several years prior to the beginning of Paul's missionary journeys. And remember, the Lord revealed to Ananias that Paul was a chosen vessel to preach to the Gentiles. This is what we see in in Acts chapter 9. But prior to Paul's belief in Jesus, much of the church was Jewish. Now, one might say, well, you know, all of the church was Jewish, but there was already something happening among the Gentiles, something that the Lord directed Peter on. And this is what we see in Acts chapter 10 with the household of Cornelius. Now, in Acts 9, Paul was a baby believer. You know, we we, we see the account of Paul becoming a Christian in Acts 9, but Paul was a baby believer and that was around 34 A.D., And it's around 37 AD is when Peter went to Cornelius and the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles. Now, the Lord was at work. I mean, we we like to indicate these time frames so that we can have this understanding of what the Lord is doing. And not just what the Lord is doing, but you see his hand. You know how Paul was a chosen vessel to go to the Gentiles but in 40 in 45 AD when brother James writes this book predominantly Jewish but at the same time understand that the spirit of the Lord was already at work among the Gentiles when Paul when when the Lord says to Peter go to the household of Cornelius a Gentile and then the spirit of the Lord came upon the Gentiles Now remember when the lord says to the jew first and you know also understand you know where, where paul he didn't immediately confer with flesh and blood we see that in galatians 1 he spent time with the lord he spent time with the lord for a time it's important to note for new believers that paul's missionary journeys began 14 years after his belief in jesus now yes he did go into synagogue and prove that Jesus is the Messiah, but being sent out by God, you know, that took, t- that took some time where Paul became very deadly, the good deadly, the kind of deadly where, you know, the religious leader says, you know, this guy, you know, we got to kill him. That's our, you know, we can beat him, we can stone him, but nothing's happening, so we got to kill him. That's what the religious establishment, the religious leaders were saying of Paul. But meanwhile, We have Brother James. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Brother James. I'm so in love with Brother James. Where in 45, 45 AD, Brother James, he writes a letter. He writes a letter. Now, the church is largely Jewish. You remember to the Jew first, where in Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus says, you know, Jerusalem, Judea and the uttermost parts of the earth. Understand that there is an order in Acts 13, verse 46. You know, the, the Bible says how Paul and Barnabas grew bold and they were the ones who says it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, notice self-inflicted, self-inflicted in Acts 13 verse 46. But since you reject it and judge yourselves and they say, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. You see, so, you know, if you remember our study in the book of Acts and, you know, our, our studies through the Paul's letters, you know, there's these writings that are happening. But meanwhile, Brother James is also writing to the church that is in 45, 45 AD, predominantly Jewish. And there's a lot of debate on who this is. James is because there are several people by the name of James in the new Testament. I mean, for me, I don't really engage in those debates because there's, you know, people can make arguments about, okay, this is this James. Another person might say, well, it's this James. The other person might say this just James. Well, you know what I say? Give me the meat. Give me the meat. What is it that brother James is teaching? What is it that he's saying inspired of the Spirit? What is it that he writes? I'm so in love with him. I'm so in love with Brother James. I can't wait to meet him. Now, I don't know how else to say this, but there's a practicality to his writings. And I don't mean, I just don't know how to say it. It's so practical. And I don't mean practical in a sense of like, you you know, like in a carnal sense and no disrespect to Brother James nor to the Lord. But, you know how you know how like when you read proverbs you have like a little tiny verse so simple just you know a couple words well not a couple but like you know say like eight words maybe like 13 words a little tiny verse so simple not a lot of words but profound 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 in wisdom and that's what i think of when i read the writings of brother james And so we start our study here in James chapter one, in verse one, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, bondservant here is a big deal. I mean, it's always a big deal when we see it in the word of God, but, you know, bondservant, it's a big deal. And in case you're a new listener and, you know, welcome, but, you know, to understand bondservanthood, you know, it's. It shows the denial of the opportunity to be free. I mean, in the Old Testament, when somebody was a bondservant, you know, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our studies through Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy where we'd speak about bondservanthood. But to give it an example, you know, in the Old Testament, when there was servanthood where there would be like a wealthy person, And a wealthy person would go like to uh, a a poor family and say like, you know, hey, you know, I I need help for, you know, my tent. I need help for uh, my flock. I need because, you know, one guy can't, you know, till his land, take care of the animal. I mean, when, when they're rich, you know, they have like all kinds of animals, you know, flocks and flocks and flocks. So they needed help. And, you know, you have in the Bible examples of disobedience. But among the obedient, among the obedient, a wealthy person could go to a poor family, not to exploit them, but just say, I need help. And then it was the poor person or the poor family, they would say, Well, you know, my son is looking for work. My daughter's looking for work. And so there would be a time where, okay, my son's going to be your servant. My daughter's going to be your servant. You know, the daughter can, you know, serve in this capacity. The son could serve in this capacity and it's for a certain period of time. And then the rich guy says, okay, here's a large sum of money to to pay for the servants. But then at the same time, you know, understand if a poor family where they had like, you know, they didn't have any ox, they didn't have any sheep, but now they can because they have the funds. Now they can make these purchases you see, and now there's, you know, they, they can buy, start to buy lambs. They can start to buy ox and they can, they can breed themselves. And, you know, in the course of time, they might be, or they might sell an ox so that they have money to, to pay for a servant. And then the servant comes on board and it you, you start to see that upward mobility. But then at the same time, you take the, the son and daughter, say, it's you and me, you and me. We come from a poor family. You and me. You're my brother. You're my sister. I mean, if you're male, you're my brother. If you're female, you're my sister. So we're brothers and sisters. I mean, you know, like, if you're male, then you're my brother. We're brothers, you know, but you know what I mean? If you're s- s- female, then you're my sister and brothers and sisters. So we're siblings. So we're in the rich guy's house, his tent. And we walk in. We're like, oh, my goodness. that you know, we, we, we didn't have like the, like this, this is nice. You know, it's not like we're, we're like what like us, but like, Whoa, this is nice. And so it's like, we're like nervous. And you know, it's so beautiful because the, the, our master now, he doesn't know us. We don't know him. I mean, we know of him and he knows of us, but there's that period of time by which we learn. And so like, you know, we give the example, and I like to give the example of, you know, I'm the cook. I'm the cook. And say you're in this example, you're the person who is the servant. You, like You serve. So, like, I'm in the kitchen, and I cook, and, you know, you serve. And so, you, you know, I cook, I'm in the kitchen, and you bring the food out to our master. And so, you know, we wake up in the morning. I don't know how he likes his eggs. I don't know if the salt and sugar, or not sugar, but, you know, pepper and, you know, sugar in the coffee. I don't know. But I learn. And, you know, say he likes his forks on the left side and you put his forks on the right side. You don't know. And he doesn't get mad, but you just notice him. He like, you know, you notice him take the salt and sprinkle it down. You notice him, you know, maybe he puts the runny eggs to the side. He doesn't like, you know, over medium. He doesn't like it like that. So you just see him put, put it to the side and maybe he eats like the edges. He doesn't, you know, like eat it all. You see him put his fork on his right side and his knife and spoon on the right side. And you see how he makes his coffee. And see, the whole, and then when he's done, you come back and you tell me, you say, hey, you know, this is what he did. And so in the course of time, we learn. We learn about the ways of our master. You see? And then say, like, all of a sudden he comes down, he wakes up, he sits down at the table, and he doesn't do anything to his meal. I mean, he doesn't, n- no additives. All of a sudden, you can start to serve him just the plate. No no extra sugar, no extra salt, no extra pepper, no extra seasonings. Why? He doesn't need it. Because I prepared it exactly the way he likes it. You served him exactly the way he likes it. We learn, and then one day he says, you know what? Pull up a chair, join me. And we're like, whoa. We're like, you know, we're, we're the help, and he wants us to sit with them. And in the course of time, we start to fall in love with him. Where we thought he was gonna be like a mean taskmaster. We didn't realize that. Wow, he this guy is beautiful. He's wonderful. And so we fall more and more and more in love with them. I and mean, we, you know, he puts us up in like this nice room, rooming board, you know, everything's beautiful. And then we're getting close to the time where our, our time is considered served and we can go back to our families and so that time is coming say it's like a couple days in the future it's happening in a couple more days and i ask you a question i say you know what we can go back home to our family and look you know they, they've bred the sheep and you know they're they're not like they were before but you know what i love our master i like it here and then you say the same thing. You know what? I, I like it too. And you know what? I love him too. And so we approach our master. We say, Master, I know we have the opportunity to be free. But Master, you know what? We love you. We don't want to be free. We want to serve you. Because for us, that's free. It's freeing for us. And then the master, you know, he's not cruel about it. He's not like, okay, get out of here. You know, I paid for you for you. You got two more days and, you know, good riddance. No, he loves us back. And he tells us, you know what? I love you too. I've fallen in love with you too. And so we say, master, can we be your bondservants? And so what would happen according to the law is that we would get our ears pierced. We would go to the doorpost and it's our master who would put a hole in our ears with an awl. And, you know, like, you know, you like carpenters and they have these tools, but you have the pokey one with the like, it looks like a screwdriver, but it's not a screwdriver at the end. It's just a point. The master would take one of those guys. And he would stick it in our ear and it would be on the doorpost. So, like, we'd be, like, nailed to the doorpost, so to speak. Like, it would be, like, just for a moment. And then he'd, like, you know, they'd take out the all, and it would have an, our, an, our ears pierced. Or our ear pierced. And so, like, when people would see us working unto the master, they would know, like, whoa, that guy has an earring. That lady has an earring. The ear is pierced. You know what that means? That means that we did have the opportunity to be free. We fulfilled our obligation of servanthood. But we love our master. And we denied that freedom to go back to our tents. And we're saying, you know what, master? Your tent, that's my home. And people see that and they realize, whoa. These servants, they love their master. And, you know, the master could have said, like, you know, I know you want to be bond servants, but no, you know, no, thanks. I don't like you. He could have said that. But the people would see like these people love their master and the master. He loves the servants. You see, and the master's tent, it is now our tent. And that's what the bond servant is. It's a big deal. I mean, when, when Paul says, you know, I'm a bondservant of, of, of God, when, when Brother James here in verse 1 says, I'm a bondservant of God, it's not in boasting. It's not to boast in any way, shape, or form. Remember, Paul says of himself, I'm an ambassador in chains. It's beautiful. I mean, it's 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 shocking. Because we, we we see it in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, we also see it. Not among everybody, but in certain individuals, we do see it. I mean, for ministry leaders, a good way to discern bondservanthood of self, it's with the chains. I mean, you know, it's not just with the chains, but how much those chains are loved. Remember, the formula's got to be right. When I first became a believer, you know, I, I thought like, you know, I was free from sin and I was chained to Satan and Jesus came and he broke the chains at my wrists. He broke the chains at my ankles. That's what I used to think. Where, wow, I'm free, I'm free. But in the course of time, I started to realize something different. That Jesus doesn't break chains at our wrists. He doesn't break chains at our ankles. He breaks them on the Satan side. That's where they're broken. And in the course of time, you, my beautiful brother, my beautiful sister, you might come to the realization, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, these chains... I thought I was freed at the wrist. I thought I was freed at the ankles. But you might come to the realization that you are free. You're no longer chained to Satan. But you take those chains and you give them to Jesus. And Paul says he's an ambassador in chains to love those chains. Remember, the formula's got to be right. If a pastor says, oh, I'm a bondservant, let's go grave soaking. Notice, his master is Satan. If a pastor says, oh, I'm a bondservant of Christ, you know, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. No, his master is Satan. If a pastor says, oh, I'm a bondservant, but man, I really hate and despise these chains. Wrong formula because it reveals something of the heart. If a pastor says, I'm a bondservant, and you see that the formula is right. And you see that he is absolutely in love with his chains. That's a good sign. But I'll also say such a person probably won't call himself a bondservant, though. (laughs) In this era, at least. But for the early church, it's quite beautiful to see men such as this. Oh, when the leaders lead. Remember our study with Deborah, the song of Deborah? Oh, when the leaders lead. And so Brother James here in verse 1 here of James 1 says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad in the Greek, this word is diaspora. Diaspora. It's a scattering or dispersion where, you know, you know, we see this in the early church in certain regions where it becomes dangerous to be a Christian. We see the, the body caring for the body. But there is also a diaspora of the last days, a scattering of saints around the world. It's already begun. Where the church transitions into the remnant model. Because it happens as apostasy spreads across our world, across our lands. Remember, judgment comes first To the church, there are these indicators that we see like, you know, like signs of the times and not just one sign here, one sign there. We're seeing converging of signs and this diaspora of the last days, it's, it's already arrived and it's happening. And the church is in a transitory phase, the remnant. The leaven is being exposed, but so is the remnant. And what does Brother James say in verse 2? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Okay. What? Brother James, I meant, you know, I love it because right off the bat, boom, he just goes right at it. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now Let's look at this deeper in the Greek. This is how verse 2 is more closely translated from the Greek. When you are surrounded by manifold temptations, trials, provocations, adversity, and evil, be glad. Consider it joy. That's that's how verse 2 is. When you're surrounded by a whole bunch of different trials and evils, consider it a good thing. That's how verse 2 is. I mean, if we were to boil it down and look and see, like, you know, the, the Greek. That's, you, you see what I mean when, when I say practicality when it comes to this profound wisdom? I mean, there's not a big, huge manual on this matter. Brother James didn't write a 250-page book and, you know, sell it at the bookstore. No, it's just verse 2. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Brother James, he boils it down. When you are surrounded, he says, consider it good. Now, how is this possible? How in the world can this be considered a good thing? Remember, we're not of the world. There is a new way of thinking for the new creation in Christ. And brother James says this in verse three, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, a lot of Christians struggle in this particular area. Why? Because trial one comes, they jump to conclusions and respond carnally. Trial number two comes, they jump to conclusions and respond carnally. Trial number three comes, they jump to conclusions and respond carnally and so on and so on and so on. But what happens when it's trial upon trial upon trial upon trial all at the same time where the saint is surrounded? You see? And it is the remnant that understands and is equipped to walk according to the spirit. The leaven? It's not a pretty picture for the leaven. Let me say something, and I love you. If you come to the realization that, oh my goodness, I think I'm leaven. Listen, you got to repent. Let's get you cleaned up. You got to repent. And not to suggest that there was ever a time where it was appropriate to play games with the Lord, but this time, more than any other era, definitely do not play games with the Lord. The Lord gives ample warning for the lukewarm. Don't be lukewarm. Let's get you cleaned up. And if that's you, and you realize, oh my goodness, I think I'm living. Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ and you recommit your life to Christ. Not a time to play games with the Lord. And people tell me, oh, you're scaring people, you're scaring people. Well, you know what? It's scary to fall into the hands of the living God. That's what the Bible says. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's what the Bible says. Why why hide that from people? why hide that fact that reality from people why not rather tell people listen the bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living god so be right with him you see notice in verse 3 the testing of your faith produces patience but in verse 4 let patience have its perfect work now In verse 4, the Bible doesn't say, well, you know, the sovereign Lord will force you to be patient for for, for a perfect work. The Bible doesn't say that. You and me. You and me. It is you and me who must let patience have its perfect work. You see? Just as we're also studying in Judges, it just so happens, it just so happens. A lot of Christians don't have victory because they fail to let patience have its perfect work. You see, the opportunity is there through trials. And saints too often respond carnally. They fight carnally instead of choosing to be patient through the trial. Now, notice what happens in verse 4. But let patience have its perfect work that you... be perfect and complete lacking nothing you see this is victory i mean verse 4 i mean that you may be perfect complete lacking nothing that's victory real victory not manufactured victory this is real victory biblical victory but without patience verse 4 the beginning remember let patience have its perfect work without patience look what stops no perfection not complete And lacking everything. Now, let's erase everybody for a moment. Let's erase everybody for a moment. It's just you and me. I know we have all kinds of various listeners. But let's just erase everybody for a moment. You know, mom, dad, kids, husband, wife. Uncle, grandma, grandpa, you know, cousins, third cousins, whatever, you know. Let's just erase everybody for a moment. It's just you and me. The cross. The cross that you carry. The cross that I carry. You and me, remember, we've erased everybody. It's just you and me. That cross. It is our instrument of death it is our means of death moving on to perfection is moving closer to death it's where Paul says I am crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live it is, it, it is no longer I who live it is Christ who lives in me everybody says I want to be perfect I want to be complete I want to lack nothing but but Who is the one that desires to crucify their flesh? You see? Just like it just so happens we studied in Judges. Everybody wants to hear from the Lord. Everybody wants to, you know, have these conversations with the Lord. But who is it that desires to tear down idols? You see? In verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally, translates as bountifully. God absolutely does this. Absolutely does this. You hear people say, well, you know, I ask of God and nothing happens. I pray and nothing happens. Understand, we stress formula For a reason. I mean, I speak as a fool in saying this. Emphasis on, you know, I speak as a fool. Sometimes I pray. And I have the answer in a matter of seconds. Sometimes I have the answer prior to asking. Sometimes the Lord wakes me up in the middle of sleeping with the answer. And I, emphasis on I speak as a fool in saying this. I don't not I, I do not say this to boast, but I do say it so that you can understand that God absolutely gives to all bountifully. But the formula it's gotta be right. It has to be right, and that's what happens. When you and me together, let patience have its perfect work. As the Bible says here in verse 4, that you, that me, may be perfect, that we may be complete, that we may lack nothing. You see? And if there is lacking of wisdom, listen, it's okay. It's perfectly okay. Remember, it's the Lord who says, come, let us reason together. That's the Lord. It's the Lord through Isaiah who says, Come, let us reason together. It's okay to lack wisdom. I mean, who in their right mind would seek counsel from a a, 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 a baby? Who can't even talk, maybe a couple Goo Goo, a couple of gagas over here? Who in their right mind would seek counsel from a baby? Wisdom is something that is not just learned but can grow. There is depth to wisdom, but a baby in Christ, it's okay. Listen, milk, milk is beautiful, but understand that milk is for babies. It's you and me who has to move on from the elementary things that we studied in the book of Hebrews, remember? It's okay to lack wisdom. But it's not just, okay, lack wisdom, and okay, that's the end of it, and I guess I'm going to lack wisdom for the rest of my life. No. It's okay to lack wisdom. And part of moving on to perfection, becoming complete and lacking nothing, ask the Lord. Ask the Lord because as is written here in verse 5, He gives to all liberally or bountifully without reproach without reproach and it will be given to him remember the formula we stress formula for a specific reason it's got to be right on multiple fronts but it's got to be right i mean there's a formula for the 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 pews there's a formula for the pulpit there's a formula for sanctuary there's a very specific formula it's super easy super easy Remember, the Lord says my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Super easy, but also super intricate. You see? Ask of the Lord. And I have these conversations with people all the time. Well, you know, I pray and nothing happens. I pray and it's like, you know, it's nothing happens. So what am I doing? Am I making a wish? Am I, you know, what am I doing? And then we start to talk about formula. You see? Who's your pastor? Where do you go to church? And it's not like a competition type of thing. It's not like, you know, who's your pastor? Because not, not for the, No, that's carnal. Because if your pastor is the type that says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved, listen, wrong formula. You cannot submit you cannot submit to such a pastor. If a pastor says, hey, you know, look, uh, I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor, let's go grave soaking. No, you cannot submit to such a person. But when the formula is right, a pastor who watches out for your soul, who teaches, trains, equips through the word of God and teaches you how to fight, teaches you not just how to fight, but how to die who has fought and who has died himself. Look at Paul unto Timothy, unto Titus, unto Philemon, unto Chloe, unto Lydia. And it's not to deify Paul. Remember, it is Paul who says, listen, I'm a dead guy. I'm paraphrasing. But he says, listen, it is no longer I who lives. It is Christ who lives in me. You see? And Paul is like a a pastor of pastors. The next generation of leadership in Titus and Timothy and Philemon. Chloe not as pastor but as teacher unto women. It's so beautiful. Lydia. You see? It's Phoebe it's it's lovely you see and that's the beauty of not just patience but you know there's more but that's you know here we are in chapter one of James and it's like we're on in verse four patience let let. you know what that means let that means you and me we're the ones who have to yield to the word And allow patience to have its perfect work. Because we're moving on to perfect. Remember in in Hebrews 5 and 6, you know, this is for the, the, the milk drinkers. But then we get into chapter 6 of Hebrews, and it's like, you know, if the Lord permits. No, the Lord is willing. The Lord desires us to move on to perfection. But the question is, do we desire to move on to perfection? Because if we desire to move on to perfection, then we will let patience have its perfect work. I can't I can't mandate that of you. You can't mandate the, that of me. It is you and me that has to willingly let patience have its perfect work that we may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. And If there is lacking of wisdom, go to God. Ask of the Lord who gives to all liberally without reproach and it will. It's not it might be given. No, it will be given to him. But notice in verse six here in James chapter one, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. You see, up and down, to and fro, turning and turning, crashing and crashing. That's what doubting does. Remember, the formula's got to be right. You ever see church as like a pep rally where the pastor's teaching and it's like, wow, this is like a pep rally. The pastor's teaching, the pastor's preaching, and it's like, wow, this is like a motivational, motivational speaker. Or this is like a therapy session. Or, you know, the, 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 this is like, you know. The the pastor is like psychoanalyzing situation and then uh, providing carnal solutions. You know why this is prevalent? And you, you see it a lot these days. You know why this is prevalent? Number one, wrong formula. Number two, it's the hand of man and not the hand of God. You see? It's the hand of man. When you see the motivational speaker at the pulpit, when you see the pep rally, the speaker standing at the pulpit, when you see the therapy session at the pulpit, you know they're tugging at heartstrings. And they do that on purpose. Treating gospel of God like it's a sales pitch. Wrong formula. And to to lack wisdom, which is, listen, it's perfectly fine to lack wisdom. Perfectly fine. But what's not fine is to stay that way. If you lack wisdom, ask of the Lord. Because wisdom will be given. But there's a specific formula to the heart when asking. Ask in faith because with doubting as is written here in verse six it's like being tossed like being tossed by the wind the wave of the sea and verse seven says brother james writes inspired of the spirit for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the lord you see when the lord is silent he's silent for a reason we see periods of times and gaps of time and moments of time in the Old Testament, New Testament, and even today, where the Lord is silent, where there is a famine of the word. And remember, the Lord is reactionary. I mean, you, 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 you listen to our study from Deuteronomy 28, and you see like, wow, oh my goodness. Like through all of time, the Lord is just doing exactly what he said he would do. You see? There is a reason why the Lord is silent when he is silent. Does the Lord change his mind? No, he never changes. It's the people. They change their heart. It happens in the Old Testament, New Testament, and still today. You see, as a result, people, what they do, or pastors and what they do, ministry leaders, what they do is they manufacture what they think to be of God, which, I mean, let's call it what it is. It's wicked. It's demonic. I mean, when you turn on the TV and you turn on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly, and you see a guy standing at the pulpit, he takes off his coat and he weighs it, and you see like the first 10 rows of the audience fall down on the ground. That's a mockery of the Holy Spirit. It's a mockery of the Holy Spirit. That's wicked. We must never treat God like a genie. You know, rub the Bible and make a wish. No. You and me, we abide in him. And we don't make a wish. We ask him in faith. Of the person who treats God like a genie, that person, Brother James says, won't see any. Won't receive anything from the Lord. Won't receive anything from the Lord. In verse 8, Brother James says, inspired of the Spirit, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You know what this is? Two spirits. That's how it translates. Two spirits. Double-minded. Spiritually bipolar. I meant... Have you ever talked with the person who's bipolar? It's very difficult. Very, very difficult when they're, you know, clinically bipolar. I mean, you know, it's crazy. Or the schizophrenic, it's even crazier. But the same thing happens in the church. The spiritually bipolar, the spiritual schizophrenic. Let me say something. To the bipolar and schizophrenic, if you're listening, there is healing in Jesus. But there's a very specific formula Very specific. I mean, later in our studies, we're going to see where James says, you know, is anyone sick? And he provides the remedy. What does he say? He says, go to the elders, which is absolutely true. Go to your elders. But there's a major problem today among overseers. Wrong formula. A person says, well, you know, I'm sick. And so I did like the Bible says, I went to my elder in, you know, in, you know, in this church, I went to the elder in that church and nothing happened. You see. But when you understand formula, you realize like, wow, I'm in a church where my elders, they're disqualified. That's not good. I'm at. When you treat church like a social club, people say, oh, it's no big deal. Look, we're an assembly here. We assemble here. And look, I got my friends here. Listen, I get that. I understand that. But that's carnal. But when you understand what the formula is for overseers in the church and you realize like, oh my goodness, I'm in this church and this elder who's on his fifth marriage and his previous wives are still alive. They had irreconcilable differences. The Bible says that guy, he's disqualified. And where brother James says, you know, go to the elders, you're sick. Take, you know, go to the elders so they can lay hands. But you have a disqualified elder lay hands. Hey, nothing's going to happen. Straight up. Nothing's going to happen. You know why? Wrong formula. No power. They might act like there's power, but that's exactly what it is. It's an act. They might act like it's power, but it's no power. There's a very specific formula for leadership. The Bible tells us, the word of God teaches us and shows us who is qualified so that you and me can know who to submit ourselves to. So when Brother James says, is anyone sick? Go to your elders. And we have qualified elders in the fellowship. It's like, wow, I'm not feeling good. You know, I'm coming down with this. I'm coming down with that. And we go to the elders. Elder, listen, I'm not feeling so well. And the elders, they can lay hands on us and pray. And boom, healing. Healing. I know Christians. I know missionaries who have, from a cup, they drink poison. And they didn't die. Well, I mean, let, 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 let me explain this because you might be you might be listening. What? What is he talking about? So missionaries, they go into like the third world. Just so you know, I teach from America. And when I say third world, I just say like, you know, countries that are not America or countries that, you know, in like more, more uh, poor country countries that are more poor. So, you know, missionaries who go into the third world, but, you know. Nowadays, take that with a grain of salt because missionaries need to come to America because America, you know, we've lost our way. You know, there's a famine of the word of God in Western cultures where you see no famine is predominantly among the impoverished In the Smyrna, if you will. But I know missionaries, they went to the third world where they walk into a village where there's a witch. There's like the, the village wish, witch and the witch says, oh, yeah, come on in, Christian. Yeah, I want to hear what you have to say here. Take a drink of this. And she gives poison to the, the missionaries. And all the previous missionaries, they've died. They drink, they get sick, they go or, you know, if they don't die, they they sick and they get like, like like flighted out. They They fly back to America and receive medical attention and this and that. But I know missionaries who have drink a drunk of that same cup, the same poison, the same elixir, and they're still alive. And the villagers, when they see that, because they know, like, wow, this witch, you know, no, nobody messes with this witch and these previous people, she messed them up. But when they see this missionary comes to town and he didn't die, whoa, that really turns heads. There's something different about this missionary. All the other missionaries where they died, they got sick, and they were out of here. But this guy, he drank that same elixir, and he's still alive. He drank poison, straight up poison, and he's still alive. You see why? formula's right. Because the power that's in him, the power of the Lord and the spirit of the Lord, it's not an act. He's the real deal. You see, and people say, well, you know, the Bible says go to my, I'm not feeling so well. The Bible says I'm going to go to the overseer. The Bible says go to the elders and they're going to lay hands and I'm going to be, I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to be healed. Well, wrong formula. You see, it's like having car problems and going to the ice cream shop to get it fixed. It's like, you know, you're driving, you hear the engine knock a little bit and then you pull into like, you know, an ice cream shop and you, the guy says, you know, you know, one scoop or two and you're like, hey, you know, fix my alternator. What? You're in the wrong place. I can give you ice cream, but hey, I'm, I, I, I can't, you know, I can't. Look, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not a mechanic. You see, wrong formula. And yet that's what people are, that's what Christians are doing. The Bible indicates the qualifications of pastor, of elder, of overseers. And yet people are choosing to submit to such people when there's no power. Which I understand. I don't like it, but I understand it. And it seems to be like it's okay, no big deal. But when times get rough... When times become perilous, when times become sorrowful, you're going to want the Agabus. You see? You're going to want people like the daughters of Philip. You're going to want people who have the spiritual gifts as identified in Holy Scripture as given by the Lord, the Holy Spirit. You're going to want such people. So that you can go to the qualified elders and say, hey, elder, I'm not feeling so hot. I think I'm coming down with this. I think I'm coming down with that. And the elders can lay hands and healing. You see? But nowadays, it's like people who have their car problems and, you know, they, gotta, they go to the laundromat to get it fixed. No, it doesn't work that way. Oh, you're such a stickler. You're such a stickler. Well, there's a reason why. You see? And Brother James says, the person who doubts is unstable, spiritually bipolar, like the crashing waves. Such a person won't receive anything from the Lord. That's what he says here in verse 7. He is a double-minded man, he says in verse 8, double-minded, unstable in all his ways. You see? unstable in all his ways we see in verse 9 let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation but the rich in his humiliation you see brother James doesn't speak of class warfare he doesn't say it's the poor against the rich the rich against the poor no remember God is no respecter of persons look at Peter and Barnabas poor and rich yet brothers in the Lord loving to one another You see, in verse 10, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away for no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat. than it withers the grass, its flowers fall, its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Listen, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'm all for upward mobility when it comes to earning income. I'm all for it. But when it's the Lord who does it, you see, just like he did with Barnabas. The Lord raises up Barnabas for such a time as this. I mean, in the era of Barnabas. So that Barnabas started to sell his properties and he would give 100% of the proceeds to the church and it was the church who would disperse it to the needs of the saints. You see? Pursuing money never ends well. But pursuing Jesus always ends well. We see here in verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Understand, there are innumerable promises of God that we can rest in and do. But there's a specific recipe for the effectuation of those promises. You see? And it is written here in verse 12, endure temptation. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. You see, a lot of people blame Satan for their own doing. Oh, it was Satan. I'm under attack. I plead the blood of Jesus. That's what they say. Oh, I'm under attack. Pray for me, brother. Pray for me, sister. I'm under attack. Oh, I plead the blood. I plead the blood. It just so happens that we studied this on Wednesday. It just so happens. It just so happens. In order to wield the sword, a person must first yield to the sword. I'll say it again. In order to wield the sword, a person must first yield to the sword. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I mean, yielding itself has effectuators too, by which... We learn to endure temptation and we learn how to be victorious in Christ. Verse 12 says here, when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. Remember, there is a crown in heaven with your name on it. There is a crown in heaven that is yours. You believe in Jesus? There is a crown in heaven that has your name on it. It is for you and you alone. But there's a very specific formula for that crown to be placed on your head. You see? The promises of the Lord, that crown is promised to those who love Him. Remember, it's Jesus who says, if you love me, follow me. Point blank. If you love me, obey my commandments. And people twist the scriptures to say, okay, well, you know, Jesus says obey the commandment, obey my commandments, so now we got to obey the Ten Commandments. But they willfully and woefully forget the pages of scripture found in the book of Hebrews You see, because it's not of Aaron, it's of Melchizedek, not of Levi, but of Judah. And because of this change of necessity, there is a changing of the law. It's the law of faith, the law of love, the law of Christ, the fulfillment of the law. You see? And Jesus says, If you love me, obey me. And that crown, it's waiting for you. It's not here on this earth, but it's waiting for you. For that crown to be placed on your head, there's a very specific formula, it's very easy. But it's also very intricate. And a lot of wolves twist the scriptures because they serve their father, the devil. Because they don't want that crown to be placed on your head in serving their father, the devil. And they even teach from pulpits. You see? Jesus is the one who says, count the cost. It's you and me that must count the cost. In verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt. Does he himself tempt anyone? Now included in this translation of tempt is test. And we do see in both testaments, old and new, where God does test. So how do we reconcile this? Do you remember several weeks ago when I mentioned the creek? How when I was a kid, we would have boats, you know, me and my friends, you know, we'd have boat races at the creek where, you know, we would make boats out of sticks that we carved with our pocket knives and we would race them in the creek. Now, I put my boat to the test and while doing so and letting my boat leave my hand and enter the water. Now... Notice what happens in this particular moment. I'm not the boat. I'm not the water. I'm not the rocks along the way. I'm not the current. And yet it is me who is testing my boat. Verse 13 here says, God himself tempts no one. But understand that he does permit tempting. I mean, we see this in scripture too with Job. We see it. We see in verse 14 here, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away, translates as dragged away by his own desires and enticed. Translates in the Greek as desires and entrapment. You see, it's self-inflicted because verse 14 says he is drawn away. How? By his own desires and enticed. You see, desires and entrapment, self-inflicted desires for sex. Desires for sex, what is the entrapment? Pornography, strippers, prostitutes, notice it's self-inflicted. Desires for the feeling of an altered state, what's the entrapment? Drugs, alcohol, chemical dependencies. You see, Paul writes about this as habitual sin. Habitual sin. And he tells Christians, he tells the remnant, to separate from the habitual sinner you see but he also says don't say that they're not a Christian because that's for the Lord to determine but as a result of bad their own choice remember self- verse 14 he's dra- dragged away by his own desires and entrapment and Paul says listen the remnant has to separate from the leaven. You see? Separate from the habitual sinner. The church today is in big trouble because habitual sin, it's everywhere. A lot of sex. The pornography, the strippers, the prostitutes. You think like, okay, that's the world, that's the world. No, 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 no. It's in the church. The drugs, the alcohol, It's inside the camp. Habitual sin is all over the place, inside the church. You see? And it's the qualified overseers, they're few in number. I mean, you you just look at the makeup of what we see happening. Habitual sin on the rise. Qualified overseers declining. How can apostasy not happen? Apostasy is happening. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Verse 15. Then when desire has conceived, notice Brother James starts to write about this sinister process. Remember, inspired of the Holy Spirit, Brother James writes. And he says in verse 15, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Oh, boys will be boys. Men will be men. That's the wicked excuse for wickedness propagated by the wicked themselves. It's precisely how babies stay babies. It's how there is arrested development in churches. You see, when Satan tempts, he uses candy. He uses candy to exploit the carnal desires of men, to exploit the carnal desires of women, young and old. Then it is one's own desire that takes the bait. Where the person is dragged away. There's the desire Now that conceives and gives birth to sin. Bear in mind, this is before the actual sin is seen. I'll say that again. This is before the actual sin is seen because it's happening inside the mind. Look at adultery. Look at adultery where Jesus says to look at a woman and lust after her. You see the sin you've committed adultery in your heart. That's what Jesus says. The sin, it's already there. It's in the heart. There's no physical act. But in the heart, it's still sinful. And I've had Christians, pastors, ministry leaders. Oh, I'm just admiring beauty. It's okay to look, but don't touch. Where is that in the Bible? Where is that in the Bible? Elders. Oh, it's okay to admire. We can look, but not touch. We can look up and down, but don't touch. Elders. And where the Bible says, you know, is anyone sick? Go to the elders and, you know, the elder will lay hands and pray. You think that elder, you think there's going to be healing from that vessel? You think there's going to be healing from that guy? I'll give you the answer. It's not happening. Why? Wrong formula. You see? He's corrupted himself. The pastor, the elder, they corrupt, corrupted themselves. So when Brother James says, go to the elder, they're going to lay hands, pray, and you'll be healed. And somebody says, okay, James says this, so I'm going to do exactly that. And then they say, well, nothing's happening. I'm still sick. My baby's still sick. Is the Bible fake? Man, maybe the Bible's fake now because the Bible says, go to the elders. I went to the elders and look, I'm sicker than I was. Oh the Bible's fake so I get I'm done with Jesus now. Let me see what they let me see what Baha'i has to say. Let me see what the Krishnas have to say. Let me go to my crystals, let me do the chakras. let me see what the Ouija board has to say. You see? Because who doesn't want healing? and I'm not trying to excuse you know the person that goes to those other sources even to suggest that there can be healing in those things. But don't forget, with Janus and Jambres, they also made the water red, blood red. What God did, they also did. But there were limitations. There is power in evil. There is, you know, Satan does have power demons do have power but the greater power is with the most high and the most high has a very specific formula where janice and jambres you know pharaoh you know we could do the blood the frogs no big deal but the hail we can't touch the god of moses he's he's more than our gods He's higher than our gods, and it was even the the wise guys of Egypt who were telling Pharaoh, hey, hey, Pharaoh, you know Moses, you know, you know, our gods. We could do the blood, we could do the frogs, but the hail. And uh, uh, but, you know, Pharaoh, it's getting worse now. So, you know, as Moses says, you better let them go. You see, but Pharaoh hardened his heart. And so when the formula is wrong, we stress formula on purpose. For a reason. So that you can go to your elders, your qualified elders, qualified overseers. And they pray, they lay hands, they pray. And there is healing. You see, koinonia. Ecclesia, not a social club. You're not going to get that in a social club. You're not going to have the, the the daughters of Philip in a social club. You're not going to have Agabus in, the, in a social club. You're not going to have Brother James in a social club. You're not going to have Priscilla and Aquila. You're not going to have Chloe and the Timothys and the Philemons. You're not going to have that in the social club. But you absolutely will have it in the remnant where there's love feast koinonia for such a time as this very specific formula you see and brother James when he writes about this process In verse 15, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And you have people today, pastors even, oh, we're all sinners, we're all sinners. Oh, we're all sinners saved by grace. Listen, it's a biblical truth that we're all sinners saved by grace. But what breaks my heart is that it's said more as a cop-out. More often than not, it's said as a cop out. So what? It's a little sex. It's a little pornography. So what? It's a you know little prostitution. You know little stripper. So what? It's a little coke. So what if I cook my spoon? So what? It's a little vodka. No big deal. We're all sinners. Biblically, moving on to perfection. If God permits, remember, if God permits, our study in Hebrews. A person sins less and less and less and less. Remember, it's Jesus who says, go and sin no more. When Brother James writes of this process in verse 15, before sin is actually seen, because he writes about the condition of the heart, the condition of the mind. Do you know how dangerous it is for this type of person to be inside the camp among sheep and lambs do you know how dangerous it is where a guy might not have the the physical act of sexual sin but the mind the heart is wickedly corrupt you know how dangerous it is for such a person to be inside the camp among children? Do you know how dangerous that is? You see? Oh, Paul is so mean. Paul is so mean. I'm having sex with my dad's wife and he calls me Levin. Oh, look at Paul. He's so mean. That's not loving. So what? You know, boys will be boys. Guys will be guys. A little sex with my dad's wife and mean Paul. He calls me Levin. He tells me I can't fellowship anymore. He's so mean. Look how cruel he is. That's not love. Oh, I'm extorting my employer, and Paul calls me levin. He's so mean. Paul is so mean. So what? I want to provide for my family. So what if I strong arm my employer? A little extortion here, a little extortion there. No big deal. Look, I can afford this. I can afford that. Look, I can put food on the table, feed my family. Look, it's so good. It's so good. And Paul calls me an extorter. He's so mean. I get drunk every night, and Paul calls me levin. Look, Paul is so mean. I wonder what Alexander and Himenaeus said about Paul. I wonder what caused all the saints in Asia to leave Paul. As with Israel, when all the camp was defiled, who wasn't? When the church is defiled, who isn't? You see, brother James says in verse 16, when, or in verse 16, do not be deceived. My beloved brethren, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Number one, God never changes. But you know how you take like a flashlight at night and depending on angles and position of lighting, you can see all kinds of shadows cast here and there. Well, with God, there are no shadows. There is no variation. That's, that's the light. In verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Now, I have to admit the Calvinists Calvinists go crazy with verses like this. But how is it a person responds to truth? It varies. It varies. A person might hate the truth. A person might be oblivious to the truth. A person might love the truth. Remember how we explained the gift you know, you give me a gift and I say, "Get out of here." You give me a gift and I say, "Okay, you know, nice. Okay, nice to meet you. Okay, now I can get out of here and I'll take this gift." But you know, I just throw it in the trash. But what about you know, you knock on my door, you give me a gift, and I'm like, "Well, number one, who are you? Number two, okay, I'm, I'm, you've piqued my interest, so let me open this. Let me undo the bow. It's nicely wrapped. Let me undo the bow. And then I open it, and to my surprise, it's exactly What I've always wanted. And I don't even know you. And then all of a sudden, my eyes become like saucers. I start to cry and weep. I give you a big fat hug and I fall in love with you. You see, the gift was there. But how it's, if it's received and how it's received, that's a different ballgame. And that's truth. It varies how people receive, not just truth, don't forget, encapsulated in truth is salvation. I mean, let's, let's not forget. We make the distinction between the gift being given and the gift being received. God absolutely has his will. The question is, who is the person who himself or herself will yield to his will. You see God doesn't make robots. God doesn't make robots. In verse 18 of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might that, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I mean To be a Christian in 45 AD to be a Christian for I mean that's pretty awesome, you know. <laughs> I mean It really is. I mean, as brother James says, it really is a kind of first fruits of those, of those born again after the seed and brother James continues in verse 19. He says, so then my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear slow to speak slow to wrath notice quick to hear slow to speak. And slow to wrath. Today, it's the opposite. Everybody's quick to wrath. Everybody's quick to speak. And everybody's slow to hear. I meant, have you ever met a person like this? Straight up, have you ever met a person like this? Where you can't get a word in edgewise because they're quick to speak. Then they're quick to wrath. And perhaps they're slow to hear or just flat out deaf. Be very careful with such people. Be very careful with such people because the person might be a baby. The person might be leaven or the person might be a wolf. And each are handled differently. Notice what we see here in verse 20. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Let's read that again. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When a person responds in wrath, and let me tell you, from experience and in shame, it is the way of the wicked. When a person is knocked out, Laying on the ground as you stand above them, and they're bleeding, and you have their teeth in your elbow. That monstrous beast inside the shell of the flesh, it's wicked, straight up wicked, it's evil, evil, demonic. It is of Satan. Brother James, in verse 20, the wrath of man does not, does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, I love it. He gives us us the remedy. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word. You see how beautiful this is? Again, we stress formula for a reason. Because the Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. A person might say, well, that's fake because I listened and look, I don't believe. When really, it's not fake at all. It only further proves Because some people love darkness more than the light. You see, there's a formula to the hearer. There's a formula to the fisher. And both must be right. When the gospel is mutilated into a sales pitch, when the gospel is mutilated into a motivational speech, it doesn't work. You might have an assembly, yes, but no power no power. Look, look how easy these words, I mean, brother James, he's not using big words where you gotta like, you know, have a dictionary. Like, what does this mean? What does this mean? Like, you, know, you ever speak with people like that? Where, you know, they, they'd like to exude that, you know, that, 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 that sense of, you know, it's, it's like pride and arrogance and they kind of have their chin up and they look down like, oh, yeah, I'm the elite one here. You know, I'm the elite one. I'm the learned one here. The establishment, the religious establishment. But Brother James, he just breaks it down. I love it. He doesn't use these big words. He's, he's just breaking it down. And I love it. But yet, they're so powerful. His words inspired of the spirit so powerful profound holy and captured in the canon of Scripture and we know that faith does come by hearing and look at this formula faith comes by hearing and when you see you you you, you uh, uh, combine what brother Paul writes and brother James writes knowing that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But then we see something else in verse 21 that the hearer is meek. The hearer has laid aside filthiness and wickedness. Now you see the word of God is implanted. And we see in verse 21 at the end, Which is able to save your souls. You see, formula. Formula. There is a formula to the hearer, a formula for the fisher. We see here in verse 22 but be doers of the words. Remember our study through Hebrews? We're not saved by works, rather, We are saved for works. And that's what happens when you and me are doers of the word. Verse 22, Brother James says, But be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. You see, self-deception. Notice it's self-inflicted. Deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man. (laughs) He is like a man, you know. Sisters can rejoice. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in in a mirror. Verse 24, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. You see what happens here? You hear us say jump ship, but we say jump ship for a reason. I mean, if you've been a believer for three or more years, three three plus years, and cannot comprehend deeper truths of Scripture, listen. I love you. You gotta jump ship. If you're a hearer only, you gotta jump ship. Get a new pastor. Understand that sources of deception can absolutely be demonic. It can absolutely be from the pulpit. But it can also absolutely be in the mirror. Because verse 22 says, If you're a hearer only, you deceive yourselves. You see? For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man, observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, or translates as abides and remains. Remember, Jesus says, abide in me, no period. He says, abide in me and I in you. Intimacy. Intimacy. And we see here what Brother James writes in verse 25. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This happens when you and me apply the word of God to our lives and in our lives and in our minds and in our hearts, choosing obedience Notice this one in verse 25 will be blessed in what he does. Will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious in verse 26 and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This one's religion or translates as this one's worship is useless. You see? And that's what Brother James says to the person who doesn't bri- does does not bridle his tongue in deceiving his own heart. You see. Remember, deception can be demonic, deception can be at the pulpit, and deception can be in the mirror. Because there is a speech of the old man. There is a speech of the old woman. There is also the speech of the new creation born again into Christ. Born again. You see, verse 27 in closing, pure and undefiled religion or worship, pure and undefiled worship, Before God and the father is this notice now we get to the doing part the action To visit orphans and widows in their trouble You see being a doer of the word Being a doer of the word and To keep oneself unspotted from the world When you keep yourself unspotted from the world, remember, nothing mangy. Nothing mangy. Remember our studies in Leviticus, which the book of Leviticus came with our warning labels too. Nothing mangy before the Lord. And when your life is an offering, a sweet aroma unto the Lord, remember, nothing mangy keeping oneself unspotted from the world, listen, you will be mocked. You will be ridiculed. You will be called legalist. Oh, you're such a legalist. You'll be beaten. You'll be imprisoned. You'll even be killed. And I speak to the remnant around the world in various locations under various trials. This is the way. This is the way and a slave is not greater than his master. A slave is not greater than her master. Remember, Jesus says, remember, he says, remember, 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 he says, they hated me first. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.